Welcome to Healing and Horsemanship, a podcast exploring the many healing paths we walk with horses. I'm your host, Shannon Ray Riley of Wild Willing Therapeutics and Training. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. For more on membership, visit wildwilling.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining me on this wild ride. And now, on to the show. everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in with me to episode number 10 of Healing and Horsemanship. In today's episode, I'm sharing an interview I had with Ashley Fry. Ashley is an equine therapy facilitator, an earth intuitive, seer, and space holder. Her mission is to facilitate space for others to do their healing And as we get into in the interview, she talks about her firm belief that we all have the innate ability to heal. Ashley's business of Breath and Bone offers experiential and elemental healing sessions that are nature-centered. Her work is focused on cultivating connection to self, nature, and others. She's an equine therapy facilitator at Wild Hearts Equine Therapy in Seneca, South Carolina. In this episode, we talk about Ashley's intense initiation through grief during the hardest time of her life, the way horses have so much grace for us and continue to show up in spite of ourselves, how horses sink their heart rate to humans with elevated respiration and innately work to regulate their nervous system and our own, the importance of not playing it small and showing up authentically even with the fear of being ostracized for being different unlearning the need to have control, and how Ashley believes that horses are exceptionally good medicine in teaching us to show up and be with what is, and much more. While I haven't personally worked with Ashley yet, I have a strong sense that we will in the future, and I'm absolutely in awe of the journey work that she does and that she talks about in this episode. So I'm excited to announce that Ashley is offering herd members a 15% discount on earth medicine sessions or remote journey work sessions with her through this year, 2023. Herd members will receive a coupon code and can book with Ashley through her website. And I'll include all the links in the show notes. I don't know about you, but I believe in things like shamanism, energy work, channeling, communication with what's beyond our quantitative measuring or understanding, or whatever else you want to call it. I believe in what some people dismiss as woo, because I've experienced the truth of it firsthand. And honestly, I think we could all use a little more woo in our lives. So, all that said, having re-listened to this interview multiple times, I am truly still just so moved by Ashley's openness and vulnerability and sharing about an aspect of her life which is still so scary to share freely with the world. I felt so inspired by her courage in sharing about this aspect of her life that I wanted to share something that came up during my conversation with her. 
when she talked about being a birth doula and helping women overcome the shadows, doubts, fear, and the I can't do this that comes up during labor, one of my vivid memories from my own labor rose up, which reminded me exactly why I 1000% agree with Ashley when she says that horses are exceptionally good medicine. I also thought it's so fitting to share this story now around the birth of my son as this episode marks nine months of the podcast being out in the world. And it is crazy how much life has changed since December 2022 when I embarked upon this journey and started finding amazing people like Ashley to share stories with on healing and horsemanship. So I will be sharing that story of how horse medicine helped me during my labor and helped me give birth naturally without any interventions, without any epidural, how horse medicine comes into play in every aspect of my life, but especially when I need strength to call on and don't know where else to look. You can read that full story on the blog, but right now, I don't want to take anything away from this amazing interview as a standalone where we get into just how powerfully life-changing horses are as a source of inspiration, healing, and endless growth. So now please enjoy my interview with Ashley of Breath and Bone. Nature is my church. Nature is my biggest informer. Yeah, I think that's the thing in the last couple of years that I've come to and and why I'm so, so grateful that this work found me because it definitely found Mm me. Nature is the the deepest relationship that I have. My relationship to the earth, the elements, animals and things like that have informed all my other decisions like that. It informs everything in my life. And to have found myself on a path where I get to hang out with horses and see them do their big work in the world is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I will be grateful until I die. Like No matter which way this path goes, I can get so emotional talking about it because it was not a path I foresaw for myself at all, at all. And, you know, now here I am. So I'm really excited to see where it goes and mm-hmm. trying to let my curiosity be bigger than my fear. <laughs> <laughs> that can be uh that can be a theme in my life yeah hmm. so let's dive in where you said that this is something that you never would have expected that you would be doing but the path found you yeah so I um <laughs> I don't want that to come across as egotistical because um so nothing in my life has gone the way that I thought it would like nothing <laughs> Whenever I was um, planning, um, you know, like even as a high schooler and and whatever, Um, but I kind of had a direction. So, yeah, I uh, my background is wide and varied. And um, I think for a lot of people, well, 2019 is really when uh, my life took a huge turn, like unexpected, huge turn. And I had been teaching um, primarily high school and middle school. And I just, I loved the kids, loved working with the kids, but being an English teacher and and being um, a subject that was tested and I was working with, I I really am not fond of the term at risk, but I was working with primarily at risk students. 
So I had just reached a level of burnout that I just, I was not physically doing well. I was emotionally not doing well. Um, I loved what I was doing, but it was not sustainable anymore. And I, I had known that and had been kind of fighting that for a little while. So I decided I was going to focus on my business, which at the time I was doing birth photography and I was a birth doula. Um, <laughs> and it's like when you finally do take that leap of faith, the universe is like, I see you. And also, <laughs> so um, life kind of fell apart. Um, it was a huge catalyst and and a lot of things happened. My 20 year marriage ended. My grandparents, whom I was really, really close to got very, very ill um, and ended up passing away within 10 months of each other. And I lost two dogs. And so it was just like a lot of stuff fell away and it was very painful. And there was a lot of grief that I had to navigate. And then the pandemic hit. And so it's like, what is happening in my life, you know? And um, it was this really sacred pause, honestly, and not one that I necessarily welcomed, but in hindsight, I look back and and a lot of what happened was necessary. Not, of course, the awesome, you know, you never want to lose people you love. But um, when I was, you know, trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do now? You know, kind of rebuilding my life in a way. Uh, I was listening to a podcast on my way home from visiting my family. And I had applied or I was wanting to apply for a photography grant and nothing was lighting me up. I couldn't figure out it was supposed to be a personal project. And, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but nothing felt right in my body. And I was driving back <laughs> and this podcast, the woman she was interviewing was talking about horses and she said she'd grown up with them and then had, you know, gone away from horses and that they had recently reentered her life and how healing that had been. Nothing about equine therapy, like just work, working with horses. And I have a couple moments in my life where you feel that full body, like you just feel, you just feel it in your entire body. And something said equine therapy. And I just, I was like, that's it. That needs to be my, that needs to be my, my topic. I can't explain it. Like I hadn't, I kind of heard of equine therapy, but not, I really had zero knowledge of it or what it was or what it entailed or anything. Um, so the next day I Googled equine therapy centers near me and ended up finding the center that I now work for. And it has been so wild and so profound. Um, so I sent them an email and said, Hey, you know, here's what I would like to do. I want to bring awareness to equine therapy. So like after reading through their website and the thing that got me is their tagline, it's connecting the, um, soul of the horse to the heart of the human. And I was like, Oh, these are my people. These are my people, you know, without even meeting them, I was like, okay, these are my people. And it was everything on the website talks about it being horse and client led and, just very much advocating for the wellness and the well-being of the horse as much of the human. So um, scheduled a meeting with them. And again, all of this sounds very, <laughs> what's the word? Um, almost made up when I look back on it, because when I got to the farm, as soon as I got out of my car, I was like, this place is going to change my life. Before I met the people I work for now, like I just, I just felt it as that felt sense in the body. And then I met Jess and Janine, who Jess is the founder and uh, Janine, she does all the things. They're phenomenal, phenomenal humans. Um, 
I just, you know, after chatting with them and taking a tour of the farm and hearing their philosophy and, and, and what they did, um, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. So I started going out and I got permission from the clients that, so we have some clients that for privacy and safety reasons, can't take photo and video. And then we have other clients that you can. So I was observing, I was just observing, I was learning through observing. I was just, you know, soaking up and watching all these other facilitators work with clients and the horses in just the most profound and beautiful ways. Like every day I left, just every day I left, I didn't even turn on the radio or anything driving home because I just was like, holy shit, this is, this is one of the most profound things I've ever experienced. And so the longer I went out there, um, and got to know, um, the people out at the farm, uh, they eventually asked me if I wanted to go through their volunteer training. And uh, it's like, yes, you know, I absolutely do. Um, and again, none of this I planned. I just kept, I, I think what I really learned after going through those really difficult years and through grief, I decided, especially after my marriage ended, that I was not going to live with a closed heart, that I was going, I wasn't going to let it make me better, that I was going to keep my heart open and that I was going to say yes to things that resonated, even if it scared me. And I'm not a person like, I've had to do a lot of shedding and a lot of unlearning. So saying yes to things that feel really big is sometimes really hard for me. But I just, I was like, you know what? I'm too old to, to live small and tiny. Like I, and I don't, I don't mean this, but I've reached a point in my life where I'm like, I don't want to look back and, and be full of like, why didn't I do that? You know, just because I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So, um, so I said yes, and that was another thing that I really admired about them. Their uh, volunteer training is six weeks. It's six consecutive weeks of, of training. You learn about the horse's brain. You learn about horse behavior. You learn, I mean, it's so thorough, and it's. I think it's two hours per week. The first week is three. I mean, it's very, you get a handbook. Like they, it's so important to them that people really understand um, what they're doing and, and why they are there. And I really admired that. I was like, that says a lot about them as an organization. And, and I want to be part of that. So, <laughs> so those six weeks were, Oh my God. So I, I think I told you in my intake form that I grew up with horses, but when I left home at 18, I didn't think horses would really be in my life again. It wasn't that I necessarily learned the wrong way with horses, but I learned there was very much the way I grew up with horses was there was a hierarchy. Humans were up here. Horses were down here. And often, you know, and I like my dad is literally a cowboy. He worked on a, a cattle ranch. So and it wasn't because people didn't care about horses, but I think it was just this old way of working with horses of we've got to go work cattle. This, this animal is a tool, you know, to, to get a job done. So there wasn't a lot of emphasis on understanding body language or horse dynamics or herd dynamics, or there was none of that, you know, and, and I heard the phrases, this horse is disrespectful. This horse has a bad attitude. And so you, you hear that as a kid and, and you're just like, okay, that's, that's how it is. There was nothing about saddle fit. There was nothing about, you know, floating the teeth correctly, um, you know, and, and, and things like that. Like, and again, I want to emphasize it wasn't because people didn't care about their horses, but the mindset was, you know, and I even saw it with dogs, like nobody I knew growing up had dogs inside because they were farm dogs. 
they had a job and and you loved them, but they stayed outside, you know. So um, to come to a place that emphasized the subtleties of a horse's energy and the subtleties of how horses communicate and understanding that just blew my whole world wide open, like blew it open. It changed everything. So <laughs> it just changed everything. That was a very long winded answer. <laughs> so yeah, I did not expect after volunteer training. Um, then they, they asked me to become a facilitator. So I've been doing that uh, almost a year now. So I, I'm very much what I would consider a newbie and a, a beginner <laughs> for sure. How do you navigate? You mentioned that you have to do a lot of unlearning and relearning because of your growing up with horses. And we have to dig more into that. I'm really curious what that looked like more for you. But oh, gosh, do you want to just dive right in? So where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Southwest Missouri, very, very rural town, uh, very rural. So my hometown has like 600 people and um, a lot of cattle in that area. So a lot of, so most of farming is not, uh, you know, crops and things like that. It's primarily people who have cattle. So my mom had a horse when she was a kid and um, his name was Hassan, And I think it was her sole horse. He was an Arabian and she just, she had such a connection with this horse that I think that kind of laid the the groundwork of, of understanding, I think my mom and my dad had different approaches. Mom, you know, rode for joy and rode for connection. Um, and not that dad didn't, but dad had a job to complete. Like he was working on this cattle ranch with hundreds and I don't know, they may even had upwards of a thousand cattle. Um, so it was, you know, he was the foreman, like this is get this job done. So it was just a different way of interacting with, the horse. And so we had my very first horse. Oh my God, she was a saint, <laughs> this horse. Um, she was a big old Appaloosa. Her name was Bo and she was just the steadiest, calmest. I mean, she was just so, I remember sliding off her back, climbing back up, sliding off, climbing back up, sliding off. And she would just, she was just so patient and gentle and tolerant and I don't even know how my parents, you know, came across her, but um, there, I think they just really, really trusted her, you know, to, to be okay with us. So those are my earliest memories of being just this little kid and, and climbing all over Bo and, you know, and riding her. Um, but at some point, and I, I think about it a lot whenever I'm working with my clients, because there's, it's a really fascinating thing. So I have clients of all ages. Um I've got clients that are in elementary school and I've got clients who are in, you know, close to 50. So when I see my adult clients versus my, my children um, clients, it's really fascinating because I could have, so one, another thing that I love about where I work is um, they're very cognizant of the well-being of the horse. So the horses don't work back to back sessions. They always have a break in between and they don't work more than twice a day because they really have to be okay to be able to do this big job. So I might have a client, you know, one day that's working with, with our horse partner and then have an, another client work with the same horse partner. And that horse will sometimes show up very differently depending on if it's an adult or if it's a child, because children are in their bodies. They tend to be in their bodies. And, you know, unless there's been a lot of trauma or dysfunction or things like that, 
I can say to one of my clients who's been working with, so one of the horses name is Kit, you know, you're going to do, you know, I would like you to do this or I always ask them, I don't tell them, but I'll give them parameters of here are your options for what we're going to do today during a session. What would you like to do? And then I'll say, all right, if you want to go get the grooming basket or if you want to go ahead and take the lead rope and lead Kit down to the, uh, you know, end of the arena and kids will just do it. They'll just, they will just do it because they don't overthink things. And the horse feels so good about it. They're like, all right, this tiny human knows exactly what we're doing. And and they're so good with it because kids are in their bodies and they're not overthinking everything as we tend to do as adults. And then I'll see the same horse with an adult client. And I'm not trying to be, but I think the, the difference I've, I've just observed is that kids tend to be in their bodies more than adults do. Adults tend to overthink everything and horses feel that. So, like I said, I can have the teeny tiniest little client with one of the biggest horses and, you know, and of course, for safety, I'm right there. But still, the horse is so calm and so responsive to that, like, this is what we're doing. We're doing this, you know, because there's no overthinking it. There's no questioning it. Questioning it. We're doing this thing. So that ties back into at some point, and I don't know when it happened, I started to overthink things. I went from being in a place of joy and riding horses and being bareback and being in full trust of myself and full trust of the horse to becoming pretty fearful. And I don't really know exactly what it was. I don't remember like a specific, you know, falling off or, you know, or anything like that. So I'm not sure what, where the switch happened, but when I was a, I think I was, yeah, I was in high school and decided that I, I would like to have a, another horse. Bo had passed away and my parents were fully supportive. So I ended up with a Palomino um, named Nugget. <laughs> she was, God, I loved her. Um, and she was a really good teacher for me too. But one thing that I, that I've had to recognize is that when that shift happened and fear started to be present. Um, so I grew up learning Western, you know, so Western saddles, Western riding style. And now that <laughs> I'm riding again, um, I'm using a bareback pad. And I realized that so much of my sense of security um, was from the saddle. I thought the saddle was the thing that was keeping me on the horse. I thought the saddle, like that was my sense of safety on the horse because I wasn't really taught to ride. You just got on the horse and you just went. Um, so that being bareback by the time I got to high school was really uneasy for me because I didn't feel like I had like that sense of control. I don't know if you've noticed a theme in my life, <laughs> but not feeling like I have a sense of control can sometimes that's been a lot of unlearning too, is, um, you know, showing up and allowing when necessary, you know, and, and letting things be and not trying to control every little thing. And horses have been exceptionally good medicine, <laughs> exceptionally good medicine in that regard. Um, yeah. So, so there was, I think I, I left home with this, a little bit of fear and not understanding horses. Like they were this big animal, um, that I didn't feel a real, I, I mean, I loved Nugget. I did. She was such a funny horse. She would reach back and, and smell my feet, you know, halfway through the ride. And it was like, she was always kind of checking in with me. And, 
Um, but I, I wasn't paying attention to, did her eyes look hard? Does she have braciness? Does she, you know, what is she trying to tell me? What is she saying? How does she feel about this? Because no one that I can think of ever talked about how to communicate with a horse. You put the bit, you know, in and the bridle on and you, you know, a neck reined and, you know, it was, it was more of a horse response to the training that it had. Right. And um, so not thinking about pressure or, and it wasn't, I never handled her roughly. Um, But I look back now and I'm like, dear God, that poor horse, bless her heart, like bless her heart, her and Bo both. And that's the one thing that I think can move me to tears constantly is that despite us or in spite of us, horses continue to show up. They have so much grace for us. So much grace for us. I had no idea until I started working with them again that horses try constantly. They constantly try. They constantly show up for us. Even if they really would rather be in the pasture eating grass, they constantly try for us. And I think that that is so beautiful. So beautiful because so many of the horses that are at um, Wild Hearts where I work, most of them are rescues. And some of their handling, you know, was unfortunate. And and some of it was just because humans loved them, but just didn't know any better. So, you know, some of the things. And then some of our horses really went through hell at the hands of humans. I mean, really went through hell. And it will bring me to tears. I mean, I'll go out in the pasture and I'll look at certain horses that we know their background where they were beaten or they were horribly mishandled or they were quote unquote punished. And the fact that they want anything to do with humans at all after all that, and that they show up and try, they don't have to, but they do. They choose to, which is just amazing to me. Absolutely amazing to me. And I think should be one of the things that is so, so deeply honored. I would like to see that on a regular basis is that there are no, in my opinion, and again, I'm, I'm a beginner and I'm a newbie, but in my opinion and what I have learned from really incredible mentors um, Jess Fry being one of them and Janine Hartley. And then Mark Rashid has greatly influenced my work and Chrissy McDonald um, is that horses try. There are no bad horses. There are no disrespectful horses. Horses respond because of things that they've learned or that they've been conditioned to do. So some of those quote unquote bad horses or disrespectful horses, it's they're doing what they think they they're trying, you know, they're like, okay, this didn't work. So I'll try this now. And, you know, if you get them dysregulated, of course, they're going to try to go to flight. And if that doesn't work, then they're going to fight. And and, and unfortunately, if that doesn't work, then they're going to, you know, they're going to go inward and they're going to dissociate. So I think that's been one of the most profound lessons is to me, there are no bad horses. Now, are there horses that um, may be done and they just need to be, you know, herd mates for the rest of their life, pasture mates. Yeah, there are some that I don't think can quite come back. And that's okay. Like That's on us. It breaks my heart. But we've got several horses that are just going to live out their days being really, really great pasture mates, you know. Um, so there are some horses that it's not safe to have them in client sessions or to work with or to ride, but doesn't mean that they don't still show up and try in other ways and that they're not deserving of of a really good life that honors them in the way that they need. I absolutely agree with that. Kind of moving me to tears a little bit. <laughs> I'm I'm so curious though. I'm like picturing 
with your words, the difference between, you know, you're growing up and you just like hopping on the horse and going. And now I imagine you're doing a lot of groundwork, you're doing like consent based. So what kind of things do you pick up on in the relationship, like the difference between the written work and the groundwork, if anything, even with the consent based, do you feel like the horse is responding or showing up differently for us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, a lot of my, when I'm working with clients, in fact, we really emphasize that we're not a writing center. We're not, these are not writing lessons. This is about connection and partnering with a horse. That's, that's the emphasis. So building rapport and a relationship and trust in self, because so many of our clients don't have trust in themselves. Um, you know, and, and, and if you're a human on this planet, you've been through some sort of trauma. That's just, that's the bottom line. If you're, if you exist on this planet, you have been through some, through some sort of trauma. And I promise I'll circle back around to the (laughs) groundwork versus writing, but this just, this came through, through that, um, you know, in my, so in my own life, uh, because of the grief and because of some things that I went through, um, so when I was teaching, I was in Joplin, Missouri. And when the five tornado went through at on graduation day and, uh, destroyed most of the town. So that was a tremendous amount of trauma and a tremendous amount of grief to navigate my own. And then also my students. So I was really having a hard time. And, um, it was the first time I tried talk therapy and it probably saved my life. So I'm a huge advocate for all mental health, um, services. And I think talk therapy is great and it's very necessary. But what I often see, especially for a lot of my clients, is that at a point it only takes them so far. And they, you know, and I think that's the beautiful thing about it. You know, um, one of my best friends is an art therapist, you know, and so her medium is working with clients through art, you know, to heal trauma. Mine is, you know, allowing horses. And I want to be very, very careful in that um when I think there's a little bit of a stigma around equine therapy because it's very open <laughs> that that term that phrase um it it's where I really have to step back and it's the horse allowing that healing and it's the nervous system regulation that allows the healing that's the biggest thing that I have seen that has been so profound in the work is that it is really hard to heal trauma or move through trauma if your nervous system is not regulated and that's what horses give to the clients. They bring a nervous system regulation that it is very hard for them to find anywhere else in life. Um, So that informs the work. So a lot of it, a lot of my clients don't even ride the horse for months because they're doing things on the ground where they're learning about you know, the body language and just really building that connection and trust between them and their horse partner. And like I told you, it it keeps evolving for me um, (laughs) because I'm so passionate about it. And so I'm I'm so excited about it. I, it it hit, I mean, like the realization hit me over the head and like, I had kind of a crisis of, oh shit, am I meant to do this? Is this, you know, am I doing this for the right reasons? Because I realized in my passion for this, I was talking too much during sessions. I was talking too much. And I think I shared this, you know, with you that I thought I was comfortable with silence. I thought I was 
comfortable holding space for people who are struggling or um, in discomfort. Like maybe they're having a really hard time getting the saddle pad on and I have to sit with, can I pause and let them struggle through this? Or do I, is my response to want to step in and help? You know, Um, that's just happened within the last month and a half where I'm like, oh my God, this job has grown me in more ways than I, nothing has accelerated my growth as fast as working with horses. Like my, I thought I was a pretty self-aware person. And then I started working with horses and I'm like, holy shit, I've got a long way to go. But I'm actually really grateful for that. I, I, I didn't know you could be so happy in a line of work. I didn't. So um, that was a very roundabout way, but but the emphasis is on really learning to read the horse and what the horse is trying to communicate so that that informs when they do. So we don't use um, some clients that are more advanced than of mine at this point, but some of the other facilitators that have been there for years and working with the same clients, theirs um, will ride in like Western saddles. I think we've got a couple of English saddles as well. But for the most part, we use bareback um, pads because that was another thing that I had to learn is that if you can accept the movement of the horse, you're going to stay on. It's about blending. It's about accepting the movement of the horse. And oh, my God, isn't that like a huge metaphor for so many other things in life? (laughs) Accepting and and blending energy. So um, it's just that is the emphasis is. What is your horse saying? What what are you communicating to your horse? Are you clenching your fists? Are you holding your breath? You know, all these things that we often don't, it, it's very much a bodily awareness. You know, um, are, is your tongue pressed really hard to the roof of your mouth? You know, do you have, a, I, like I have clients that I get there and I'll say, all right, you know, do you need stillness today or do you need movement today? What do you need today? And a lot of my younger clients, and I mean, that's, probably true for actually all my clients. So many of them either haven't been given the the choice to have a voice or they don't know how to speak for themselves because they've been taught not to. <laughs> the horses are like, I don't accept that. You're going to have to tell me <laughs> what, what we're doing today. Because that's, that's the big thing is, you know, horses have two questions. Am I safe? What are we doing today? So that's really the two guiding principles during my sessions are, you know, when you're working with your horse partner and even the language I use around it has changed, you know, you like partner, horse partner, because they are a partner in this, you know, you're not using the horse you're working with or you're partnering with the horse. Um, So just asking them to tune into their internal world even if they can't articulate it. We do a lot of somatic stuff. Um, all the facilitators have been, we're, we're like the first level, we're called caregivers in TBRI, so trust-based relational intervention. Um, Karen Purvis out of Texas is the one who came up with that because a lot of our clients come from trauma like and serious dysfunction. So it's really, I mean, and, and as we've seen through studies, trauma impacts the brain and, and your ability to learn and your ability to move through the world. And, you know, for most of those people who are in a trauma state, they're in a constant fight or flight. So the biggest aspect of my job is nervous system regulation. And again, that's the subtle, and that's why horses are so great because 
you know, I have to explain. A lot of people think they're like big dogs. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> nope, they're not. But I think because they see them as these very loving, you know, and a lot of times the horses are pretty gentle energy. Um, you know, I find that a lot of people want to interact with them like they would with a dog. And so we have to have a lot of conversations of they have a totally different brain. They're, they have a prey brain versus a predator brain. And that is... You know, and then I have to be careful. I've had this conversation a lot with the facilitators I work with, and um, it would be super easy for me to anthropomorphize horses. And I just, I'm reading Mark's book, For the Love of the Horse, right now, and and I've <laughs> underlined it and put all these stars around it just a couple of days ago because he said, you know, one of the things that we tend to do when we're working with horses is, you know, we can't help it. We see them through a human lens. But because we see them through a human lens, we try to sometimes understand their behaviors just through a human lens. And we can't do that. You know, like horses are sometimes just being a horse. Like some of the things they do, it's just because it's a horse being a horse. Now, yeah, if they come from trauma and things like that, or, you know, if they've got something going on with injuries or pain, but... I have to really be careful, you know, because they are magical beings. They are amazing beings. But I think I have to, you know, walk that fine line of, yes, they are incredible. And they're also just being horses. Like when we technically become, when we're working with them, we're part of their herd, right? So I tell this to people all the time, you know, it is, it's practical for them. Horses, their whole thing is conserving energy. That's their existence, conserve energy. And you come into quote unquote part of their herd, then if you're not regulated, they're like, oh, nope, this is no good. <laughs> we're, we're all being put at risk. You know, if you're, if you're in an elevated state, it, it does put the herd at risk. You know, if they did have to flee a predator or some sort of th threat. So I really try to, you know, tell people like, this is practical for horses. You know, and, and they have studies coming out of California, the HeartMap Institute that shows, and I think there are all these other studies starting to show now that horses are healing just by being in their very presence. Their electromagnetic field is so much bigger than ours. And because they communicate through energy and through such subtleties, you know, they, they took humans that had been reporting like anxiety and, and things like this. So, you know, they're respiration levels were elevated, their heart rate was elevated, their blood pressure was elevated, and they put them with a horse. And what they found monitoring both of their, you know, nervous systems and their vital signs and things is that a horse will sink its heart rate and its respiration rate with that of a human's to bring it into stasis, which is just wild to me and amazing because literally being in a horse's presence, if they are regulated, will bring a human into more of a, a place of stasis, which is just beautiful and at the same time practical. So that's where I have to, <laughs> that, that fine line of not being like, oh, <laughs> they're, you know, and anthropomorphizing. But um, I mean, that is, that is really, really incredible. And I think that's where I've seen the most healing happen. And it just makes sense you know, if we're in the fight or flight, you know, part of our brain, it's really difficult to heal that stuff. But if we're in a regulated place, then we can let things move through us. We can, you can, you know, we have the confidence that when a big emotion or feeling comes up, that we can deal with it. We're resourced, we're grounded. So 
I said I wasn't going to go off on all these tangents and talk for five minutes straight, but here I am. <laughs> but there's so many little things that just lit me up with that. I I think we're just going to have to have multiple conversations here because there's a lot of directions, but you brought up something that has really been on my mind lately with that. And I think, you know, as a facilitator, um, you are so focused on the horse and the human and guiding them that, like you said, you weren't realizing that you were talking so much and that you weren't giving them space for silence or movement or whatever they needed. Mm -hmm. But that tendency to come in and sometimes I'll notice like my shoulders start hiking up and I'm holding my breath because I'm noticing like I see what the horse is seeing with that. And I want to just like, I want to tell the human what to do, but it would fall on deaf ears, right? Like the, during my childhood riding lessons, it was like heels down, heels down, elbows and elbows and spine mm -hmm. up. Then I would respond, I am doing those things, but your body's not. So there's mm -hmm. such a disconnect there where you just need to let the horse come in and they're slowly sinking. I didn't know about that study. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. but that's how it feels. So as a facilitator, my question for you is like, how do you, I mean, I guess you're learning every day, right? It's constant, but how do you really allow yourself to step back and allow them to do their process together? Oh gosh. And, and this is why I do think this work is this, this work, not that I didn't get a lot of, you know, beautiful life lessons from when I was teaching or when I was doing birth work. I think everything we do informs something else, right? Like none of it's a waste. And even, you know, so as a, you know, outside of equine therapy, I have my own business and I'm very much a space holder there too, photography and videography being my mediums. But what... <laughs> It, it it's constant ego shattering, right? <laughs> you know, so we need healthy egos, but it, there's also, I, I haven't found anything because horses are quiet, but also insistent and in, let me do this. I know how to do this. And if I will just get out of the way, you know, um, I just had a conversation not too long ago about getting my out of my own damn way. And the, importance of pause. Can I pause? So after having that big realization, you know, however long ago it was, I've been trying to really, before I start a session, remind myself, pause, pause before you respond. You know, of course, it, it, safety is always, always the priority. Um, but that's where that's part of my job as a facilitator. And I always have a volunteer present too. And they've been trained as well. But that's where I'm, like you said, I'm reading, I'm looking at the horse and I'm like, ah, they're getting worried or ah, they're getting concerned, you know, and, and, and we're never going to put a client in a situation that would compromise safety. Um, but that's what I've been inviting into sessions is, can you just pause before you respond? Can you just pause before you start to say, do you need help with that? Can you pause? And the other thing is giving them options saying to a client, I know you've got this, but if you would like some help, I'll let you, you know, do this until you say you want me to step in and help. So really trying to get them to advocate for self. And I, I went to the lake, say yesterday, no, day before yesterday with some really, really dear friends of mine. Um, I actually met them because of my art therapist friend. She's also a, a yoga teacher and 
um, trauma-informed yoga and grief counselor, and she had a, a women's circle. And out of all the therapeutic modalities until I met the, you know, the horses and started working with them, that was the most profoundly healing experience I'd ever had in my life. Because what was different about it was that when we came to circle, they truly held space for me in the way that that I think is actually meant. They witnessed my grief. They they witnessed my rage. They witnessed, you know, my vulnerability. They witnessed all of these things that I think we often try to keep others from seeing. And nobody tried to fix it for me. Nobody tried to tell me, well, you should do this. Nobody, they just witnessed it. And that was so healing because it was like, I, I, you know, I, we're supposed to do these things, these hard things together. We're not meant to do these hard things. Mental health, we have a crisis in our country. I watched it with my students for years and years and years because nobody wants to talk about it. We're supposed to, you know, everything's supposed to be go, 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 and everything's fine. And no, we're not, we're not okay as a society. We're not. We're disconnected from each other. We're disconnected from nature. We forget that we're animals. We're supposed to be in connection. And so I I had that aha whenever I saw them at the lake the other day of like, holy shit, if that was the most profoundly healing experience for me, I need to be bringing that into my sessions. And there's nothing to fix for these clients, you know, but I think that I'm very empathetic. And I think a lot of us who work with horses, we do it from a place of just a really wide open heart and we want to help people, but people have everything they need to heal within them already. And when you are constantly saying, I'll do it, or here, do you want help? There's an implication, especially for with kids that there's, you know, it's this implied, well, I don't think you can do it yourself that's awful. You know, like that's terrible. And, you know, and it may not be the intent, but, but when we kind of do that and, and we don't let them struggle or we don't let them be in that moment of indecision, or we don't let them use their voice, you know, I think it, it unfortunately continues a cycle that I don't want my clients to be in. I don't want to be in that. So yeah, that's, we're getting ready to start the fall season. So I've been on break um, for the last two weeks and I've been thinking about it a lot and reflecting on it a lot. Um, You know, and so when I start the fall season with my clients, those are things I'm going to really try to invite in as pause because I think pausing is sacred and just letting like one of my facilitators, she's phenomenal. Caroline is her name. She's just uh, her horse wisdom. I, and that's the other thing that I really love about where I work and, and I would highly recommend <laughs> they would be great. I don't want to tell you who to have on your podcast, but they would be great people um, because I, I, that's the other thing that being kind of a beginner in the horse world, I'm seeing that there are people who are often really, really good with horses, but maybe not so good with humans. And then I see people who are really, really good with humans, but maybe not so good with horses, but I am so fortunate to work with a really incredible group of women who are really good at understanding humans and horses and bringing out the best in both of them. So this facilitator, Caroline, you know, she reminded me when I had that, I called her and I was like, I'm talking too damn much during my sessions. Like I just told, you know, and, 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 and that's the other thing is these women are so incredibly transparent in a very kind and gentle way, but they don't bullshit me. Like these are some of the most honest humans, but they do it in a way that is healing. 
and allows you to be human, you know, and, and she's the one who reminded me that, you know, let nature be the healer, let the horse be the healer, let the grass be the healer, let the elements be the healer. She's like, you don't have to do or be all of the things. And when she said that, I was, I felt that whole body of recognition of, oh, I don't have to do and be all the things because that's where you get burnt out, you know, and I shouldn't be (laughs) or or try to be doing all the things. So, you know, really it is a practice in stepping back and I'll never forget. Jess told me, so Mark, she, Jess is um, one of Mark's student instructors or assistant instructors. And I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Rashid's work or Chrissy McDonald. Yeah. And, and Mark once said to her, and this has just been, and I've been thinking about it ever since she said it to me, she said, people, you know, he said, well, he told her, he said, people aren't interested in how much, you know, people are interested in how you can help them feel better. (laughs) And I'm like, whoo, especially with horses. I think that's true. So, you know, and it's, it's just like, you know, anything else, the brain is a sponge. If I fire hose you information, <laughs> you're not going to be able to retain, you know, so I, and I know this, like as a former teacher, I know this. And yet <laughs> sometimes it's just like, Plah. so I, I have to, I have to rein it back, you know, and, and just allow, allow people to be in discomfort, allow people to be in struggle, allow silence. You know, like I said, I thought I was really, I thought I was internally soft and still I work until I started working with horses. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) maybe I'm not as much as I thought I was. (laughs) I think I can really relate in that horses are my, my growth trajectory. Whenever I think, whenever my ego gets a little too bloated, I go out there and (laughs) learn exactly everything that I don't know. So I'm really curious to hear, can you elaborate more on how you just feel like you've grown so much more working with horses than with all this other work? And you you do a lot of other amazing work, it sounds like, which we need to address too, like the birth doula, photography, videography, like truly seeing people documenting their true selves. And then the earth medicine, I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Well, and I I think that's why, God, I, I just truly do feel so grateful. Like I will go to my grave regardless of what happens with this. I have a good life. I do. I mean, and I, I recognize how privileged I am to be able to say that. And so I, I think that that's one of the things I, even as a kid, even though I wasn't sure what I was going to go into as far as a profession, I've always wanted to help people. Um, I just, I've always known that. But I think what I'm learning is that the best way to really help people is to just hold space and witness them. Again, like I said earlier, they have everything. We're all healers. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. We all have exactly what it is that we need within us to navigate this life. Sometimes it gets stuck. Sometimes we go through things that scar us. Sometimes, you know we need guidance. And I have so many women to thank and so many beautiful men too. I have so many people in my life to thank that believed in me, that supported me, that were cheerleaders. But I think the the most profound again is to just be witnessed. There is so much healing in that. And to just allow, 
what is it? There's a quote. I think it's loving is allowing, you know, and I don't know who said it, but I think about that a lot. Loving is allowing. Um, so it, it seems very full circle. And sometimes I kind of laugh because I think the universe has a little bit of a sense of humor. <laughs> you know, I'm a deeply spiritual person. Um, and, you know, like I said at the beginning, it, nature is the truest relationship I know. The truest, the earth, the elements, the plants, everything informs all of my decisions in my entire life. If I can learn from nature and model that or synthesize that, my life is so much better. It's easier. It's so much easier when I just, you know, model that. And, and so, you know, it, it's not surprising. I'm delighted that I've found myself in, in such a, a beautiful opportunity, really, because nature is so important. Being outside is so important to me. And like I said, I get to hang out with these horses that are just, yeah, every day. And I also, I think the the phrase different day, different horse is really important to remember. <laughs> really important. Different day, different horse, you know? So it's meeting a horse where they are. It's meeting humans where they are. It's meeting ourselves where we are and having, you know, the ability to extend really big compassion. So many of us are very compassionate to others and it will extend all the grace in the world to others, but then we don't give it to ourselves, you know? Um, and horses will literally, you know, nudge us and be like, Hey, <laughs> you're doing better than you think you are. <laughs> You know, and, and that's, that is one thing too, that I can say, you know, like, my, I feel like my dogs do that. And, and I think horses, horses just tend to be like, they, they see the good in us. Like I said, even our horses that came from really horrible. And I mean, again, that has, that's because of the way that Jess and Janine and, and the others have worked with these horses. Um, but horses really do tend to, to bring out the best in us. Um, so, like I said, everything I, I've done up to this, um, I worked a lot with kids. I worked at the YMCA whenever I was in college in the Boys and Girls Club. And um, and I think from my granny, I was really, really close to my grandparents, my granny and my papa. And granny was this tiny little human, but she was feisty. Oh, God, she was feisty. And she always, always fought for the underdog, always, like my whole life. And I think that has always been really important to me is to try to, because I do recognize that I came from a place of, I grew up on a farm with all this land. My parents planted this huge garden and we had this really beautiful connection to nature. And I got to go outside and play in the Creek every single day during the summer. And, you know, and when you're a kid, you just think that everybody's experience is yours until you go out in the world and you're like, Oh no, <laughs> not everybody had that, you know? And, and so I recognize that I was extraordinarily privileged to grow up the way that I did, to have the life that I've had. And I try to be an advocate for those that have not had the privilege that I have. I've tried to make my life so that others can rise up too. That's incredibly, incredibly important to me. Um, I had somebody ask me, since I've left teaching, do I feel like I'm having as much of an impact because I'm working with clients one-on-one -on -one as opposed to a classroom full of students? And I adamantly say, yes, I do. I may not have, you know, a session because I had classes 30, 30, you know, plus kids. 
And while I tried really, really hard to have a positive impact on them, what I'm the work I'm doing now, again, if I'll get out of the way, <laughs> I've seen such profound healing happen. And I am a firm, firm believer that when one person heals and then they take that out into the world, the ripple effect of that is massive. And I'll have clients say all the time, you know, like when we go on break or they're out of town or something, like I miss this place so much because it's just so calm. It just, it feels so good in your body when you're out there because the horses are regulated. They know the humans there will listen to them and that they will try. That's the other thing. Oh my God. Horses are probably some of the most forgiving creatures on the planet because (laughs) I started riding again. That was a really important part of my facilitator training is, is learning to energetically try to communicate and connect with the horse. So I've been working with Sam Sam is one of the best teachers I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> this horse, he is so forgiving because I use my legs way too much. That was something I learned, you know, riding Western as I would squeeze. And <laughs> so that's when I learned I wasn't as internally soft as I thought I was. Sam was like, no, you can't hide this shit from me. <laughs> I can feel everything that's going on inside of you. So, um, but I, he's so patient and he's so kind and he's so willing because he knows my intent. My intent, I tell him all the time, I'm listening, buddy. I'm listening. I'm listening to you. I've got your, you know, no pun intended. I've got your back, you know, but because he he often needs a lot of reassurance like this. He's, we're, it, <laughs> He's been an excellent partner for me because um, we're working on him not needing so much external reassurance, you know, and to find like, can we just feel good standing here? Can we just feel good doing this, you know, and um, helping him find ways to feel good about just standing or making this turn or, oh God, there's a giant trailer that's not usually here that came down to the arena while we're on. Can we do this and feel good about it? You know, and he's just, horses are so good at reading our intent. And, you know, I think showing up authentically is really important too, but there are days that are just like fucking hard and it's hard to be in our bodies and it's hard to be in ourselves. And I, you know, and, and horses do ask us to show up authentically, but I really think that intent, uh, you know, even on a day that I'm really struggling, if my intent is still, I'm, I'm listening, I'm trying then horses will soften into that. And doesn't that apply to so many things in life and relationships in our interactions with other people is just not making assumptions. You know, I think the world is very polarized right now. It's easy to become polarized. I think we often forget our humanness in a lot of our interactions. And I don't know where, you know, how that all ties in exactly. But I mean, you know, as a birth doula, that was another thing too, is that I am not a parent. I I want to say that I have never been pregnant and haven't had a child. So it was an interesting, you know, to be called to that work. But that's one thing that I saw with my birth doula clients is that, you know, it's, it's in similar ways. We often, when we get to that moment of, of crisis, like, I can't do this, or I'm not sure I can do this. And and my job was, you are doing this. You can do this. You are doing this. You have everything within you. Because women would reach a point during labor where you would see 
because they go into a very primal state. They are literally in a different part of their brain. And if you interrupt them in that process, they can bring them out of the birthing, you know, the stages of labor. So you want to try to keep them in that part of their brain that keeps labor going. But most of them will reach a point where they will look at you and, it, and it's it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of doubt. And it's like they call it like hitting the wall. And I can't do this. I, I'm never going to be able to have this child. I'm never, you know, and and I see that with clients. I see that in sessions with the earth medicine sessions is that we all go through moments of crisis of identity and crisis of faith in ourself and, and just, and you need somebody to say, you are doing it. I see you. I see you. You've got this. And just, and to mean it, not, not in a bullshit way, but to mean it. And you can see their body soften. You can see it. And when the body softens, you know, and there's a deep breath and like, okay, you know, and so with earth medicine sessions, again, because it is my truest, it like informs everything. Um, I started doing that work really just because I felt an intuitive gut feeling of, I need to do this because if I'm, you know, experiencing this profound healing from the earth, what could it possibly do, you know, for others? So, um, it's been a really, really fascinating journey because I would say very much that I'm not as much of a photographer or videographer as I am a witness. They just happen to be my mediums. Um, so when I do a, an earth medicine session, it's primarily women or female identifying individuals who come to me. And a lot of them are going through really big life transitions and most of them, to be quite honest, can't tell me. They're like, I don't know why I feel the need to work with you, but I feel like I need to work with you. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we'll talk about, you know, themes that are coming up for them. And um, it's hard to say this out loud because, because it sounds so woo and, and, and even, you know, and, and it's a lot of my conditioning growing up and societal stuff, but um, I channel. So yeah. I, I do journey work and... I it's ever since I was a child, I was able to do this, but I grew up in a very, very, very <laughs> conservative religious town. There was nobody I could talk to about it because I, even as a child, I recognized that if I tried to say, Hey, I'm experiencing this or Hey, I'm experiencing that. There was no safe place to talk about that because that was kind of witchy or that was kind of, you know, like, or maybe you were a little crazy because you're just making it up or, you know, something like that. So I kind of stuff that down as we do um, until the last couple of years when it just, it, the desire, the, the calling became so loud and so strong that I couldn't ignore it anymore. And, um, you know, that that old conditioning tries to sometimes say this isn't real, and then <laughs> and then I'll share whatever I journeyed and and you know whatever will come because it's a lot like the horses. I just try to you know I think horses are extremely beautiful channels. Um, they I want to be careful with saying that they're mirrors. I think they they do that. They they definitely reflect back just because of their you know their their energetic beings. But it's our work 
to when we have those internal realizations. That's our work. That's where we have to protect the horses. Um, and and they'll regulate. Oh my gosh, Sam. Whenever I get in riding him, he's like, "Cool, I'm gonna go roll now." <laughs> so, <laughs> so he almost always rolls. You know. So the horses. That's the other beautiful thing is they will always find ways to release if we don't interrupt it. They will release. They will clear that stuff out of their system. They inherently do that. We don't do that so much. But, you know, I, I, gosh, where was I going with all this? I, I just think that we doubt ourselves. Life is too short to just constantly doubt ourselves. Maybe that's where I'm going with it. So I just decided I'm going to start offering this. And if it resonates, it resonates. If it doesn't, then, you know, there's probably some, another medium for that person out there. Um but we do a lot of grounding work. A lot of it is about being back in the body. And we spend usually about three hours outside in a place after we've talked, I'll, you know, talk to them about what elements are important. Where do they feel safest? Where do they feel most connected? And water is often, you know, we'll go to places of water and then I just let them be. A lot of times I'll bring a journal um, and I, I'll do a lot of guided stuff with them. It's a lot like working with the horses I think I actually interestingly do a better job of pausing and and allowing in those sessions. So I just need to bring that with my work with the horses, right? Um, I'm having that realization as I say it. <laughs> so it's really about bringing people back into their bodies and letting, I think nature is probably the biggest amplifier of what we already know to be true. We just have to get in a place where we can hear it. And a lot of times we need, we need assistance and guidance. We need somebody to witness us. We need somebody to hold space for us. So I try to reflect that back with, and a lot of those sessions I never share. Like I, if you look at my website, there are quite a few because they're usually so, I don't ever share photos or videos of a client unless I have their explicit permission. Um, because that's not actually what the session was about. The session was really, truly about finding their inner authority, finding trust in themselves again, finding just a moment to be still. So many of the clients I work with are moms and, and, you know, have very busy, very full lives. And it, I think, unfortunately, in my work as a birth doula and, and, then now in this position is women in particular. And I don't want to say that like, I don't at all want to stereotype genders or anything. Um, but I find with women in particular, they, they feel so guilty taking time for themselves to, to do something for themselves. But I think what's beautiful is more and more humans in general are waking up to the realization of if I don't find a way to look at my shit, <laughs> It's going to keep, I think the awareness in our culture is becoming more and more of like, I need to look at my shit and how it's impacting other people. We do, you know, and I think that's our, all our personal responsibility is that, oh, and that's the other, the other thing I think with clients is that I really, a lot of my children, like clients that are children, not treating them as their trauma. They are not their trauma. I mean, we need to stop treating kids as their trauma. It's part of their experience. But what we need to do is we need to help them ground into their bodies. We need to give them tools to regulate their nervous system. And we need to stop feeding this narrative of this is who you are now. Because it's not. That's such a defining box to put anybody in. I feel really passionate about that one. 
I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, that's been in the last couple of days, that's been a big thing on my mind because I had a client who told me she saw somewhere a quote that said, trauma is where the blood won't go or won't mm. flow in the body. And I went, oh my God, yeah. But once you process that trauma, you don't need to keep talking about it. It's like, that's going to be a part of your story, but that doesn't have to define you. And so do you want to keep sharing that? It's it's such a personal thing, but certainly with kids, especially, my God, or like a diagnosis, a lot of people are afraid to get a diagnosis, right? Because then that's who they are. That's their identity. But it's because we're in a society, a culture that's so out of balance that are adapting to that out of balance is then our identity. Look at the bigger picture, right? We're just, we're figuring our shit out every day. <laughs> We're figuring it out. I love how you put all of that. And I I wanted to circle back around to the channeling because that really is striking because I grew up in like hippie capital of California. So mm -hmm. that's, it's something that could be shared openly and like revered here. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I'm so curious how your childhood was with that and how you finally are like reclaiming your gifts and whether that scares you too, because I've had some little experiences on that where even I feel crazy. Like, where did that come from? But yeah, it's it's a very different societal norm here. So how did you reclaim that? And how do you work with it? And what does it even look like for you? Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> it's such a, of course, it's so funny. Because, you know, like I said, I, I went into this just... I even caught myself like trying to script what I thought I was going to talk about it and, and all this stuff, because again, there's that, you know, theme of control, right. Um, that I'm constantly having to let go of. There's a Molly Tuttle song and in it, she said, let's not try to figure it all out at once. And I've got that quote written down, you know, it's a good reminder for me uh, because I think that all goes back to, you know, that's been a big part of my work and the learning and unlearning is we do have to look at where, you know, our core wounds are. We do. Like we're, we are responsible as we move through this world. It is our responsibility to look at our core wounds and how they are informing and affecting our lives. I, I so wholeheartedly, regardless of what your path is in life, regardless if horses are in your path or not, it is our responsibility to ourself and to others and to this earth for us to look at our core wounds and look at how it's impacting our day-to-day -day lives. And it's scary as fuck. Like, <laughs> and I think that's why most people avoid it. And I, and I understand that because I spent probably the first half of my life avoiding it, um, if not more than that. And and I have days where I still avoid it. Like, don't get me wrong, but I'm I I did not come to this planet to live shallowly. Is it Anais Nin that says I must be a mermaid for I'm not afraid of the depths or something like that? Um, I I just I can't. I don't have that ability. And I also think that's why horses have come back into my life because they've just deepened that aspect. Um, but it's funny that you ask this because it's still very much a shadow for me. It is still very hard for me to so I find it so ironic that I, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> it's in such a public platform, but all right, universe, let's do it. Um, you know, because that is one place that I think I have been hiding a little bit. It's like, here, I'm going to put this on my website and let all the other, you know, because I always felt like a little bit of a weirdo my whole life, right? Like I'm just, I'm... <laughs> 
not quite what you would consider quote unquote normal. And the older I get, I'm like, fuck yeah, that's, I know who wants to be normal. What does that even mean anyway? Like, what does that even mean? And I remember when my oldest nephew was, I think he was like five or six, something came up about being weird. And he was like, yeah, why would anybody want to be anything but weird? Like he was just, you know, this little kid, he's like, of course that makes sense. And like be weird. Um, and I just love that, you know, coming from a child, but it, you know, and I still haven't openly like talked about it too much with my parents. And, um, so I left, so I'm, like I said, Southern Missouri, very rural in the Ozarks. So what's really fascinating to me is you have a lot of, um, so it's, we're a lot of hillbillies, you know, like I have like that heritage of, of people who came from the Appalachian area. So I have roots back to, and I think that's why I feel so at home here in upstate South Carolina is because my ancestors were literally from these mountains, but they ended up going, you know, westward and, and ending up in the Ozarks. So with them, they brought a lot of like my great grandfather, my Papa Perry, witched wells. That's what they called it, witching wells. And I don't know if you're familiar with that and what that is, but it was when somebody needed a well dug. And and it, there's a practical like, you know, a, a kind of a, the way that it works, but he would um, get a peach limb and it would be forked and then he would walk the earth and then when it would bend, that's where they would dig the well and there would always be water there. So he was known as the the well witcher. Like that was one of his, that people came to him to have their wells dug. So there was this, and, and I've since learned that it, it is, it's like the magnetic pole. Like there's an actual legitimate thing that happens, but it, it was an interesting way to grow up because you had this deep reverence, or at least in my family, a deep reverence for nature, deep reverence. And I'm so grateful that I was taught that, um, you know, and we were always outside, always. So there was, you know, paying attention to, like, we call them sun dogs. Uh, you learn to read the weather and grew up, you know, where I grew up was not as flat as Joplin, but the threat of tornadoes was very real. So you learn to read the weather and a sun dog is a, a reflection in the sky. There are ice crystals and it usually means that, uh, you know, some kind of precipitation is moving in within the next 24 to 48 hours. So you had a lot of earth-based practices, you know, because people were in such a rural area and, you know, for so long were very connected to the earth, but they were also very infused with kind of like this Celtic mythology and, and superstitions, you know, and things like that. But then, and, and I do not want to, and please don't misunderstand me. Like, I don't want to knock anyone's belief system, but my own personal experience was that organized religion was very, very damaging, very damaging for me and very, um, confining in, and I just, you know, so to have these really, um, I've always had the ability. So in, in human design, are you familiar with human design? So I'm a reflector, which I only found out about a couple of years ago, which now makes so much sense, <laughs> so much sense. But I, I think even as a child, I've always had the ability to read people really well. And my entire life, I can think back to being on the school bus. People will just tell me things like deep, personal revealing things. And 
things that I probably could have lived the rest of my life without knowing, but you know, things that, that they didn't share with others. And it, and it took me a really long time to understand that wasn't the norm for everybody else. Like that other people didn't just come in. And, and I think because they knew I was going to keep it. Like I, I've always believed if somebody wants to tell me something, it stops with me. If they want somebody else to know, then they'll, they'll tell that person, you know, but I think because I was a safe place and a space holder, even then, and a reflector, couple that with when I would, you know, go to sleep or even just outside, I would have this, you know, this, like this full body sensation of why well, I, I could, you know, this thing's going to happen or, and I don't want to say that I can like predict, but I would have deja vu or um, I would just have this felt sense, but who do you talk about? that with whenever, you know, your entire community is, because if you were not part of one of the three, I think there were three main churches in my town of 600, you were basically ostracized. You were, you were not like to be part of. And so I've had to really peel back the layers of, um, you know, if I show up authentically and speak my truth and show up in the world authentically and stop playing small, there's that inner child part of me that's like, you will, you'll be ostracized. You will not be part of the community. And so I've had to recognize that sometimes I'm operating off that inner child narrative and I have to, I have to do that inner child work so that I can offer these things and the other thing, this theme came up, I was talking to my friends about it a couple of days ago. So another really core wound for me because of, and I recognize it now with the church was abandonment. So there was this deep fear of being rejected or abandoned. Well, I realized that it was implied. I had this huge aha, like again, full body the, a few days ago of that my, the root of that fear of abandonment is because I was it was implicitly taught to abandon myself over and over and over and over and over again as a child. And please do not, again, my parents are amazing people. I love them so much. The community I grew up with are amazing people. And no one was like trying to break a child down, right? Like nobody was, you know, they all were very loving, salt of the earth, kind, humble people. But when you have an area that was hit you know, economically very hard by the Great Depression, and you have, you know, quite a bit of poverty, and you have, you know, not a lot about saying it influences your sense of identity and safety in the world comes from that community. And in the religion that I grew up in, you conformed, or you were not part of it. So you were constantly being taught to abandon who you actually were, so that you would have that sense of sense of community. I'm putting community in quotes um, and, and for safety, like that sense of belonging and safety. And I see generational, you know, epigenetics. We're really starting to learn more about epigenetics and how this stuff is passed on through our DNA. And, you know, so it has really been a lifetime of peeling back and, and deciding to just, I'm not going to play it small anymore. And I, I do find this conversation so ironic because I just journaled about this like three days ago that I need to stop <laughs> showing up small. So this is, you know, I, I want to be very transparent. This is, you know, uncomfortable to talk about, but I think very, very important because I turned 40 this year. And if I could say anything to 
you know, younger people and, and, you know, they got to go through their own process. So sometimes it follows on deaf ears, but my God, please live your life as you, it's such a disservice, you know, and I wouldn't change, you know, like we have to do things in our own timing, but the more that we can give people permission to be who they are and show up as they are and know that they're going to be loved. um, I don't think we'd have the mental health crisis. I don't think we would have quite as, much. We wouldn't have the polarization. You know, people are afraid of themselves. People are afraid of each other. And it's usually because somewhere along the way they've abandoned themselves. And it takes a lot of work of reclamation. It takes intention. It takes dedication, but it also takes a community of people who will be there for you and horses or whatever therapeutic modality that it looks like. We are not meant to do these things. We're not meant to do life alone. Um, it is a disservice to the world and I need to take my own words, <laughs> you know, and, and make it applicable to my life. But it, it is a disservice to the world when we do not show up as our full selves. And that's why I think the horses, the horses are like, oh, no, come on, come back. You're like they ask you to bring your true self. And if your true self is really struggling that day, they're like, all right, I'm going to meet you where you are. If you are on top of the world and totally in your body, they're like, cool, I'm going to meet you where you are. You know, and, and I just always want to bring it, bring it back to that is that's, I think, why horses have been so, so beautiful. And I hope they're always in my life, the rest of my life, because they every time they meet me where I am, it gives me grace to meet myself where I am. It gives me grace to meet others where they are. Like, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. So, you know, it is definitely something, an aspect of myself that I'm trying to reclaim because I had that conversation yesterday is I feel more content and more at peace with who I am at this point in my life than I ever have. And it's not because I think I've necessarily changed. I may change how I show up in the world, but it's the peeling back of those conditioned layers. It's getting back to who, you know, it's it's all the societal stuff that gets piled on you know, all the cultural stuff, all the shit that we put on ourselves too. So it'll be, you know, the rest of my life. I know that, but I welcome that. And now I have horses that are helping me with that too. So that's awesome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel like we're really, we're really getting to the, the depths, the like meaty (laughs) center of it. And I'm so sad. I I need to kind of nudge us towards the tail end because I have to go feed horses in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But oh my gosh, you have some real wisdom from from all these layers, not just from horses, but it's informing how you're showing up with the horses. And yeah, I always feel like the horses are really. We can't always take the credit, right? They're the real teachers. They're the real the real masters of this. But some people just know how to put it into words so poignantly where I'm just awestruck. So really, thank you for for finding the words with that. I'm having all these little realizations just hearing you talk. Well, thank you. This has truly, truly been such a beautiful opportunity. And, and you know, I think that was the other thing is, <laughs> you know, when we're asked to show up, we always have a decision. Am I, you know, am I going to really show up or am I going to play it small. And let me tell you that nagging voice of just, just, you know, like I said, I was going to try to script it. (laughs) Fuck that. No, I mean, that doesn't serve anybody. So I just, you know, I, 
I'm so grateful to have crossed paths with people like you. Truly, your work is just, I mean, it's informing what I'm doing. Um, but I, I, and I think that if you were in conversation and you have been, so many of your other podcast guests have been so, I've listened to every podcast episode. <laughs> I've gleaned so much from listening. And I think horse people, especially the the people that you are, you know, coming into contact with, they're really, they're healers, like in the truest sense, these people are working with horses and humans in such a profoundly beautiful way, you know, and, and I just, I think the more that we all keep having these conversations, because every horse person that I've met, at least where I work, and I think it's, I think what I will say, you know, just looking at the horse world, it's actually a really small world, which is kind of strange. Um, But the ones that I see on a day-to-day basis are some of the most grounded, beautiful, authentic humans that are doing their own work. Like that's the common theme is that they are showing up doing their own internal big work. And my God, that's like the best to be working with people who are also going, all right, what's my shit? (laughs) What do I need to own here? And I've, I've had, it's, that's been a rare experience. I haven't met too many people, but I think horses, do they just do that? Horses just have that effect if people will allow it. And I have found that is that some people are not ready for this work. Some people will be like, oh, I get to go hang out and groom a horse. And then they get there and they realize that it's actually a lot of internal work and some people aren't ready for it. And that's totally okay. That is totally okay that they aren't there yet. Hopefully it's planted the seed and I'll, and hopefully they'll circle back around to us, you know, or find other horses to work with or something like that. But I don't think I didn't realize, <laughs> I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. I had no idea. I, I don't think most people, but it, it sounds like you have that awareness and so many of your other podcast guests. And, and I would you know, speculate that the people you come into contact with in the future and have conversations with on this podcast, the inner work, it sounds like a lot of them. And that's only going to be good for horses. That's the only way really, truly, I think that is kind of the next evolution of horses is asking us to do our own internal work. (laughs) Yeah. And we all hold different pieces of it too. So it's like not one of us could be a complete resource on this whole topic but yeah it's shared and the more that we share openly about it the better yeah absolutely absolutely so now i'm you're so welcome thank you and i'm really really curious i'm looking forward to your um definitions on this but i want to hear how you define health and horsemanship oh gosh oh how do i define communication communication I think communication with self and communication with the horses. So the way that that I'm understanding you phrasing that question is when I think about going out into a pasture, I have to, before I put a foot in the pasture, I'm doing an internal check. Where am I? Do I need to shake things off? Do I need to go for a rapid walk? Do I need to go for a run? Do I need to, you know, do some of the somatic work and shake some of this out? Am I in my head or am I in my body? Okay, I'm in my head a little bit. All right, can I bring it down? Oh, I feel this sensation in my body. And to me, that's, that's probably been one of the biggest is communication, being honest about where we are because horses sense it, whether or not, like I said, I thought I was internally soft. And then Sam goes, yeah, no, 
you got you got some work to do there. Um, horses see through that. So I think to be in health, um, and I'm also just reflecting on some dear loved ones in my own life that have recently found out about some health struggles. And really so much of it is listening. So it's being in communication with our bodies. So health in the, in the sense that, you know, we have to listen, we have to be in communication with our bodies. And that also in horsemanship, it's communication. It's listening to horses. None of it means shit. None of it, that may seem really harsh, but to me, none of it means shit. If you are not listening to the horse, it's not a partnership. Then it's not horsemanship. Then it's what's a word is a human. Now that, that sounds too kind. It's, it becomes about us instead of about us and the horses. It, it becomes about, we, it becomes an, an unhealthy ego thing. So to me, because I, again, I'm so new to the horse world or I feel very much like a newbie. That's just my own personal experience is that none of it means anything if we are not listening to the horse. So that's health to me is communication on a bodily level, a somatic level, as well as literal conversation or communication between other humans or with horses. I really like that. I don't think anyone said it quite that way too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just trusting what came up. (laughs) So. So, Ashley, where can people find you? Um, so I am a facilitator at Wild Hearts Equine Therapy in Seneca, South Carolina. And if you are interested in working with me, that's in the upstate uh, near Clemson. A lot of people know where Clemson is. So you can uh, reach out to me via their website. Or um, I also I think you'll probably have like my website listed, but I'm in, on Instagram. Not going to lie, I'm reevaluating because I looked at it the other day. I was like, people probably don't actually know what I do. So <laughs> I need to be a little, so of breath and bone underscore at the end. And then my website of breath and So you can find me in those, those areas. And uh, yeah, I am trying to, and I, at, in my own like business outside of facilitation, um, that is work that I'm very passionate about and, and love, but I'm trying to be brave and, and show up in that work as well. So, um, trying to be better about showing up and, and sharing and yeah, that's where you can find me upstate South Carolina. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, I got to visit someday. Yes. Yes, for sure. Please do. Yeah. I think that showing up is really, that's the first step, right? You can like acknowledge what work you have to do, but the showing up is the scariest part that mm-hmm. only you can do it, but yep. you've, you've got it, you know, yep. you can do and it. And the world needs it, truly. Like, and I'm, I know that that sounds probably a little cliche and a little cheesy, but we all have so much to offer. All of us, every single one of us. I haven't met anybody that hasn't, you know, like had made me have a realization or we all have something to offer and the more that we can show up. Yeah. Show up. <laughs> it's so hard, but please know there. And, and if, you know, someone doesn't receive it, there are people that will, you will find, keep showing up. The people, the universe is going to bring you the right people. I think that's the key thing of my takeaway too is, is like I said earlier, I decided I was going to live with an open heart. I was going to say yes to things that my body said, like do this. Uh, even when I was scared, you know, and, and showing up. Um, and when you do, my God, the most beautiful things that happen. 
the most beautiful connections. And, and it's not like, please understand, don't. I've had days where I've been like, you know what? I could get an office job and this would, I would, it would be so much easier and I would be bored and I would hate it, but it wouldn't ask me to grow. <laughs> and so I've had days like that, but never, I, I, I would never trade this work for. So, so please understand, sometimes when you say yes to stuff, it's going to ask you to grow exponentially and you absolutely can. <laughs> I a thousand percent feel that. Yeah. Yeah. There are those days, but oh my God, it's so worth it. So worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, please know, I, I love what you're doing too, sincerely. And I share your work as much as I possibly can because you know, there's no sense either in us playing small or not sharing each other's work. I'm so over that scarcity mindset. I guess the other thing I love about this community is everybody I've met and interacted with is they're so willing to share because they know they have kind of, like you said, their niche, their aspect, like, you know, craniosacral. Oh my God. It was so crazy too. I was listening to your podcast about the craniosacral therapist didn't know that was a thing with horses. And I thought, of course, I should know this, you know, so and then got to work and there was a craniosacral therapist that had come from Ohio and was there doing s sessions with some of the horses. And I was like, this is just wild to me. Like, I love the parallels. So I thank you for the work that you are doing and the education that you're providing and the insights and connecting all of us on a bigger scale. Like, you know, i I'm sure doing a podcast and saying yes to this was probably not easy, but thank you so much for doing it. You've had a, a wildly beautiful impact on my life. Thank you so much. That just made my whole day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to definitely have to chat more because, wow, we're just scraping the surface right now. <laughs> well, like I said, I can get a bit wordy. I tried to be succinct, but <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's great. We need more of it. We need more of the depths and the the things that you feel often crazy for sharing, you know? Yeah. Yes. And I can't wait to, I, I feel one day we'll meet and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that and, and staying in contact. So please know that I, I, I really do want to support you in as many ways as I can. Thank you. I feel the same and God, we need to, well, I'm kind of planting the seed that someone out there needs to make some big summit gathering expo whatever it is but for yeah. this specific corner of the horse world i want to see that out yeah. there yeah for sure someone's got to hold it and bring us all together yeah. <laughs> all right thank you so much thank you Thank you for listening to these stories on healing and horsemanship. If you're moved by this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to help the show grow. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. Join today at wildwhaling.com herd membership. And until next time... I wish you harmony in your health and with horses.